Grab your ticket and your suitcase Thunder's rolling down this track The United States has inaugurated its 46th president, Joseph R. Biden. It did this in the middle of a pandemic, and it did it just two weeks after an angry mob stormed the Capitol in Washington in an attempt to halt Senate confirmation of the election. Many Southwest Virginians who observed a large portion of the presidential inauguration on January 20th were enthralled by what they saw. Granted, the vast majority of these observers were inclined to support the new president already. In fact, for this story, we were unsuccessful in finding supporters of the outgoing president who observed enough of the inauguration to feel comfortable about commenting on the ceremonies for the new president. However, as you'll hear, some of those who did observe the inauguration found themselves unexpectedly overwhelmed by its events. Everything from its speeches to the music and to memorials recognizing victims of the pandemic. And they express their hope that those who did not support the new president will nonetheless be able to take from the inauguration some measure of hope for unity and success for a country that is divided and a democracy that may be suffering. You are listening to Together to Get There, the show dedicated to economic and community development in Southwest Virginia, and I am your host, Dirk Moore. And for this story, I spoke with seven people from Southwest Virginia about the inauguration. Due to the current pandemic, they gathered in two separate internet online video conferences during which they reflected on the inauguration and its impact. Among the participants are four women and three men. They represent a wide range of age groups from their early 20s to the late 70s. And they include one African-American, one person from the Hispanic community, and one person from the LGBT community. In spite of their differences, they all have strong roots in Southwest Virginia, and each of them devotes a great portion of their lives to serving their communities. The youngest participant in this discussion was Claire Peterson, who is an Emory Henry College student from Glade Spring. She is majoring in sociology and hopes to work in environmental policy after she graduates. Uh, The inauguration for her met an important objective, that of providing a calming voice. And that was a view that was shared by other participants, including fellow participant Bill McKee of MetaView. Um, I also felt like the tone was very much about unity and kind of unifying our divided country. And I know that that was something that they were really trying to do as well. And I do feel like it was, it felt kind of like, um, you know, the rainbow after the storm. It just felt like for once, um, kind of like we were already saying, it felt very calm. Um, And I feel like that's just kind of exactly what we needed. We didn't need anything large and, you know, big and over the top. We just wanted to feel safe um, and like a country. The tone this time was like none I have ever seen before. We've had positive uh, inaugural speeches. We've had some wonderful inaugurations in my lifetime, but the tone 
from the very beginning, from the memorial service the evening before, which I thought absolutely set the tone for the weekend, it has never been this message of such unity before. That last voice was that of Bill McKee. Bill is one of the oldest participants in the discussion. He sports white hair and a long white beard and wears wired rimmed glasses. In short, he looks like Santa Claus, which is why for the last 20 years he has devoted himself as a volunteer to bringing cheer to children at hospitals and clinics throughout the region. He, like the others in the discussion, demonstrate an intimate knowledge of the people of the region, and, and that was a knowledge that they have gained through their service to them. Another young participant, Tyler Hughes, is 27 years old. He is a member of the town council in Big Stone Gap. He is a graduate of East Tennessee State University, and he is a bluegrass musician who is widely known in the region and who hopes that his music is one way of reaching people in Southwest Virginia and reminding them of what they have in common. Um, And yeah, I stay uh, involved in local politics here. Uh, My boyfriend and I both are uh, very involved in the political scene out here in uh, Wisely in Scott County. This land is my land From California To the New York Island This is America's day. This is democracy's day. A day of history and hope, of renewal and resolve. Through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew, and America has risen to the challenge. Today, we celebrate the triumph not of a candidate, but of a cause, the cause of democracy. President Biden is perhaps not known for his speaking abilities. Nevertheless, several of the participants in this discussion were highly impressed with his address and pointed to specific passages that resonated with them. Lisa Jenkins is a seventh-generation resident of Southwest Virginia. She has led several nonprofits and currently works as a volunteer for an organization that seeks to address racial injustice. And she said Biden's speech was powerful in that it restored some level of respect for the office while demonstrating respect for others, including those who would disagree with him. The one statement that I remember the president making in his speech that to me was the most striking was a very pragmatic, I think, approach to saying it will take enough of us to move to face the challenges and solve the problems we have. I think he's very pragmatic in knowing he's not going to get everybody to agree, but enough of us, that is the essence, I think, of what our government should be focused on. Biden's speech was a declaration of victory for democracy, according to Jerry Hill. Jerry is an African-American who is a retired school administrator from MetaView. While he was upbeat about Biden's speech, he remains cautious about what the president can accomplish regarding his theme of unity. Unity, uh, sacrificing uh, some other, can come at a cost if it's just unity and the the absence of conflict is not necessarily peace. We can uh, negotiate, uh, we can finagle and come to some kind of agreements, but in the process we lose a lot. 
I'm not sure how this unity is going to work. Hopefully, we will at least get enough people that democracy will continue to win. But at this point, I'm sort of cautiously optimistic. And after the last four years, that's a lot. The law has been broken and, uh, you know, there's been insurrection and impeachable offenses. Then for unity's sake, do we just ignore all of that? And to me, that's not unity. That is... Uh, sticking our heads in the sand for the, for the illusion of unity. did not see the inauguration. I heard the inauguration. I had, I, had, I had left early that morning to go to Kentucky to get a COVID vaccine and was driving back in my car. So I heard it on the radio. Davina Sexton was the person you just heard. And she is from Abingdon, Virginia. She's a former reporter who currently works as an administrator for a nonprofit. I was laughing, crying, singing along with Garth Brooks, you know, like I, so many other people were, it was just joyous. And the thing that struck me so much about it, we talk about it being unifying, but it was very inclusive and accessible. I mean, I felt like President Biden said, there is a seat at this table for anybody who wants a seat. And it's been a long time when I felt like there was a, an open table where folks were welcome. I think about everything that happened made me cry. The person you just heard was Ann Ledgerwood. She is a physical therapist from Emory, and she works as a volunteer in support of former inmates as they adjust to new life outside of prison. I watched it with my dad. He's 87 and um, we, two weeks before had watched, I was, you know, that day I was just thinking, I'm gonna watch and see what this process is like when they vote, you know, to, uh, with the electoral college. And I sat there and watched that with him as that all fell apart. And then two weeks later, I'm watching the inauguration and I just wept. So I just wept time and time again and thought about just sort of cautious hope I think we all feel that, you know, we've had, we've been so, um, I have, I'll speak for myself, troubled over the past four years that I'm not ready to think that all the troubles are gone, but I feel like we're, that we have hope now. And it was just very moving to me. It was much more than Biden's speech that captivated the inauguration's audience. The national anthem by Lady Gaga and other music by such artists as Bruce Springsteen, Garth Brooks, and Jennifer Lopez all contributed to a sense of harmony. There was also the inauguration of the nation's first female vice president, Kamala Harris. But without exception, for this group of Southwest Virginians, it was the poem delivered by the young Amanda Gorman that captured hearts. Poet Laureate Amanda Gorman absolutely blew me away. It was phenomenal. I had not been inspired by someone speaking like that since 
Dr. Martin Luther King. Her poem transcended politics, everything. It lifted us beyond what we normally see. And poetry has a way of holding up a mirror so we can look at ourselves. And I thought she did that brilliantly. You know, I, I think that poem could speak to anybody, regardless of yes, their political yeah. affiliation and regardless of whether or not they live in Southwest Virginia or New York City. Um, not to backtrack, but just to say again, you know, that message of unity that we are one country and, and the beauty of the diversity of this country that, that makes it great, that, that could be felt so much uh, throughout the entire celebration, but especially by featuring her as the Poet Laureate. I do think it's a poem that's going to be cited as much as the emancipation, you know, as the Gettysburg Address or Martin Luther King's uh, speeches. And I love the fact that it was from someone who is of the younger generation. It is exactly where we need to be in acknowledging the things where we are not perfect, but hopeful and optimistic and committed to, not just hoping, committed to acting so that we become a better country and a better people. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace in the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. To hear this young 22-year-old woman say that, it's like she gave us the hope that we have not been able to feel. I mean, I have felt that we're broken. And that feeling of brokenness is itself damaging. The world continues to watch us. They have been watching us and they, they're probably breathing a sigh of relief that, you know, maybe we're going, we're going to have, uh, be able to come out of this. Democracy is a fragile thing and we were really close to having some really ugly things happen. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. The participants in this discussion spoke about many other important moments. Lisa Jenkins pointed to the inclusion represented by the individual who used sign language while delivering the Pledge of Allegiance. Jerry Hill praised Lady Gaga. And Anne Ledgerwood pointed to the memorial before the inauguration day, which recognized the thousands of victims of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, as a healthcare worker myself, not a front lines person, but just knowing many people who are, knowing many nurses, knowing many doctors, and and knowing what they're going through, this that was way overdue. I was full of tears of joy and just tenderness all day long. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. 
I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I take this obligation freely. That I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation. The inauguration of the first female vice president was also a highlight for those who participated in this reflection on the inauguration. For some of the women in the group, it wasn't just about breaking a glass ceiling, it was another step toward unity. And one participant, Jerry Hill, called it a step toward national maturity. For me, uh, watching our first woman vice president being inaugurated was truly one of the most amazing uh, moments in history. Um, I think that when I was watching, I was thinking about the fact that I was, you know, watching with my mom, uh, knowing that my nanny was watching and that millions of children and little girls all across the world were watching this. And, you know, into the second highest office in our nation. And that just is something that we have so much history behind us that led us to this moment. And I, I just, that was a really special moment. It's an opportunity, a celebration, a milestone. And at the same time, I'm seeing that as I did with Obama being the president is, I long for the day when we look at the content of people's character, not the color of the skin that it does it, or their gender. So when I think we're close to maturity, not perfection, maturity, or being finished, that's when it doesn't matter there's a person of color, or that it's a female, or that it's a LGBTQ person. That's when I think we've matured. All of the participants expressed a desire to not allow the message of this inauguration to get lost in the politics of policymaking. They want to build bridges. And as people who are very much engaged in their communities, they realize that it is up to individuals to do that as much as it is up to the people in Washington. People need to surround themselves, they said, as the president has done, with people that will disagree with them and still work together. When People talk to me with misinformation, um, lack of knowledge about things, you know, complaining about, very negative about things. My immediate response is, okay, what are you going to do about it? What can we do about this? It's not Trump or Biden or anybody. I mean, we can make a difference in our own world and it takes each of us working on something. We did not win bragging rights. What we won was the opportunity to work, to try to move, yes, a very young country forward and to hold, hold on to democracy. I think with January 6th, we saw how truly fragile it is. And, and in that, how precious it is. And I think that's a lot of what we 
celebrated and why we responded to the inauguration in the way that we did. You know, since I was elected, I've been interviewed multiple times uh, by people who always ask, you know, what's it like to live in quote unquote Trump country? You know, how do you manage it? How do, how do you do it? And I always point out that, you know, we have a different political identity, but we don't have a different value system. The, my family members or my friends or my neighbors that voted for Trump, they want the same exact things I do. We want a safe community. We want a healthy place to live. We want jobs that put food on the table. And most importantly for people in Southwest Virginia, they want a future for Southwest Virginia where their children don't have to make a choice to live here and live a subpar life or to move far away to be able to earn enough to, to live like an average American. So that's what I always point out. It's that at the end of the day, we value the same things. We, we are the same uh, Southwest Virginian at the end of the day. I've made a comment on social media, just I, every once in a while I do it. And I said, um, uh, brain is like a parachute. It only works if you open it. On this hallowed ground, where just a few days ago, violence sought to shake the Capitol's very foundation, we come together as one nation, under God, indivisible, to carry out the peaceful transfer of power as we have for more than two centuries. As we look ahead in our uniquely American way, restless, bold, optimistic, and set our sights on the nation we know we can be and we must be. January of 2021 will likely be seen as one of the most consequential months in the history of American democracy. The participants in this discussion about the inauguration seem to understand the weight of the history entailed in the past few weeks. Nevertheless, a sense of optimism pervaded this conversation. The people in this discussion admitted that a sense of hope comes out of every inauguration only to perhaps be dashed by the realities of division. But for them, this time feels different. Maybe it's because of an inauguration that followed riots in the Capitol. Maybe it is because so many people have been awakened to their responsibility to democracy. And maybe it's because young people, such as Amanda Gorman, are articulating the inherent value of America in ways more clear and inspiring than ever before. But you know you won't be back, darling, if you're weary. Lay your head upon my chest. We'll take we have we seen a lot of things in our time here on Earth. And the inauguration, listening to Tyler and listening to Claire, young people who do represent the future, gives me hope. For me, I'm just enjoying every day. I'm grateful to wake up every morning. So that's that's where I see the hope is is for the future and for Tyler and Claire and 
and all of the young people. Yeah, well, I will provide for you. Oh, and I'll stand by your side. You'll need a good companion now. Oh, for this part of the ride. I'm optimistic. I'm ever the optimist. I think it's going to be sooner than we think that we're going to see more uh, representatives from the younger generations. I mean, we're starting to see that here in the Commonwealth. If you look at the state legislature and those that have run for the House of Delegates and the state Senate in the last couple of cycles, you're getting younger candidates all the time uh, and some millennials in there, not quite to uh, what is it, Gen Z now, I think we're on. Um, but um, I think we will see some younger representation soon, particularly because we are quickly uh, becoming the largest part of the electorate and, and therefore somebody's going to have to hear us. Carry saints and sinners, this train carries losers and winners, this train carries hard and gamblers, this train. I think that there is a lot to be optimistic about. I think something that has really happened um, throughout the past years is that younger people are really finding their voice. Um, they're really coming together and uniting and saying, hey, we, we have something to say about this. We have opinions and we want to hold our government officials accountable for this. We want change happening. And I think through a lot of the challenges that we are currently facing together as a country, that has really been something at the forefront that um, while we're also dealing with this um, horrible time, that we also are trying to figure out what we can do together to make it right. Well, this train carries saints and sinners. We will rebuild reconcile and recover in every known nook of our nation in every corner called our country our people diverse and beautiful will emerge battered and beautiful when day comes we step out of the shade aflame and unafraid the new dawn blooms as we free it for there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it if only we're brave enough to be it this train, bells of freedom ringing. The big wheels roll through fields where sunlight streams. Oh, meet me in a land of hope. This has been Together to Get There. Thank you for listening. Meet me